How many of you remember back in the 90s and, and early 2000s the fad of WWJD? You guys remember that? How many of y'all had and wore, let's be honest, a WWJD bracelet? Raise your hand. Does anybody have one with them today? Oh, nobody wins the prize. Okay, well, I would love to see somebody bring one of those up. I can't find mine, but I had one too. And WWJD, if you remember, that stood for What Would Jesus Do? And it was all based off of a book really written, I think back in the late 1800s, by a guy named Charles Sheldon. For whatever, it became popularized in the late 90s, and, and it started the whole WWJD movement. What would Jesus do? Well, you know what? We don't have to speculate about that because the New Testament tells us what Jesus did. And really, I think that is a much better question. We can look at what things Jesus did and how he did them, and we can learn how we should live today as his followers. So we're going to be asking the question, what did Jesus do? We're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to find out. And today, I want us to look at the very reason that Jesus came to earth. The primary thing that Jesus came to do, he came to invite the lost to be found, the broken to be made whole, and sinners to be saved. As we heard in our New Testament reading, Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus invited, and so must we. After all, that's what the Great Commission is all about is inviting people to Jesus. So I want us to turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 7 to help us discover the kinds of people Jesus invited. I mean, we can say Jesus invited, and so should we, and be done. But it's a little harder than that. Because as has been alluded to, we tend to sort of invite our friends, and people that we know real well. But Jesus invited all kinds of people, and so must we. And the first thing we see in Luke chapter 5 is that Jesus invited the failures. Let's look at that, beginning in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the, the Sea of Galilee, it's another name for that, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, this is the disciple that he would rename Peter. And asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I love this story because it tells us that Jesus sees beyond our faults and our failings and our weaknesses. We tend to focus on what we can't do, but Jesus focuses on what he can do through us. Or as the saying goes, it's, a, it's kind of a cliche, but it's true. God doesn't call the able, he enables 
the called. Jesus saw Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He saw their struggles, their needs. He knew they had been fishing all night long. He saw those boats and those nets were empty. What happened? These were professional fishermen. They do this for a living. And yet they were out fishing all night and caught nothing. They failed. But Jesus steps into their boat, comes into their lives despite those failures, and he nudges Peter, put out just a little bit into the water. I love that because Jesus often does that with us. He comes into our lives in little bits and little increments and baby steps, building a relationship of trust. Notice that Jesus first invites Peter to be a part of his ministry by loaning him his boat, his means of earning a livelihood. He wanted, he wanted Peter's boat to, to use as a seaside pulpit so he could teach the crowds that were on the beach. Maybe Jesus is doing the same with you. Maybe Jesus is calling you to use where you work, what you do for a living, as the launching point for ministry opportunities beyond your wildest imaginations. Wouldn't that be amazing if Jesus took your boat, took whatever it is you do for a living, had you put out just a little bit so he could begin to use you to fish for people, to catch men and women for the kingdom of God. Now, Peter was doubtful, as you might be. I don't know about that. Doesn't Jesus know what I do for a living? Doesn't know who I work with? I don't think that'll work out very well. Jesus called Peter, and Peter was doubtful. But especially as Jesus had him pushed further out into the water, Peter knew just enough about Jesus, respected him enough to humor him. You know, I think that sometimes, again, that's kind of how it can be with us. Faith sometimes is that we fear God enough to humor him. You know, that that was, okay, God, I don't know about this. But, but, but we'll try it. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Jesus called that a mustard seed-sized faith. And that's just enough faith for God to begin to open up our hearts and minds and to do the impossible through us. So here Jesus takes their failure and he turns it into a miraculous success. He enabled and empowered them to be able to do what they couldn't do on their own. Let me say that again. He enabled and empowered them to do what they couldn't do on their own. And that reminds me of what what Paul wrote in Philippians 4.13 when he said, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Or as he writes in 2 Corinthians 12.9, God speaks to him in the midst of some struggles that Paul is having and God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, okay, then I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Maybe you have tried ministry. Maybe you've tried leading a Bible study or teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe you've tried working with children or helping out with the nursery. Maybe you've, you've tried to do these things and you feel like you failed. Maybe you tried reaching your one And they argued with you, or they laughed in your face, or they hung up the phone, or slammed the door in your face, and you think, man, I I tried to be a witness, and I failed. Don't give up. Trust Jesus. Go back. Lower down those nets one more time, and watch God do the impossible through you. He can do through you what you can't do on your own. He calls the failures. The other group that he calls and invites, we see in the next story, is the unclean. Look at verse 12. 
While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So here's a man who heard stories about Jesus, stories that captivated his heart, caught his attention. He desperately needed Jesus. He understood that Jesus was his only hope. And so he invited Jesus into his need. And what did Jesus do? Jesus reached out and touched this socially outcast, unclean man. This man had leprosy. Lepers were the outcasts among the outcasts. I mean, they were socially distancing before it was popular. When you walked into a town, if you were a leper, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, and you had to maintain like a 30-foot distance from anybody. Leprosy was a terrible, horrible, contagious disease. And this disease came to define this man in a terrible, soul-crushing way. But did you notice that when he comes to Jesus, he echoes what Peter said up in verse 8? And did you notice that just like Peter, he falls before Jesus as one who is unworthy but desperately in need of the attention of Christ? He not only recognized Jesus' power to heal when he said, you can make me clean, but Jesus' authority to heal when he said, if you are willing. Jesus was willing. And he touched and healed this man. Now, Jesus did not have to touch this man's diseased skin. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we see Jesus could heal from a distance. He could heal with a word. So why did Jesus touch a man that could render him ceremonially unclean? Something amazing happens here. Something miraculous happens here. Rather than this man's uncleanness infecting Jesus, Jesus' cleanness disinfects him. Or as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Theologians call this the great exchange. Christ took our uncleanness upon himself and bestowed upon us his cleanness. He was broken so that we may be made whole. He was beaten so that by his stripes we could be healed. He died so that we could live. Isn't that amazing? Can I get an amen? Now what's interesting in this story too is that Jesus tells this man to keep quiet and to tell no one about this. Now why did Jesus do that? Well, I think it's because Jesus wasn't ready for the healing aspect of his ministry to overshadow everything else he came to do. Yes, he was a teacher. Yes, he was a healer. But Jesus was so much more than that. There was a greater miracle he came to perform than just physical healing. The miracle Jesus came for is the miracle of salvation, of eternal life, of forgiven sins. And guess what? That's a miracle that Jesus does command each and every one of us to go and tell a lost and dying world about I think it's ironic that Jesus commanded this man to tell no one, yet he told everyone. And Jesus commands us to tell everyone, yet how many of us tell no one? Jesus 
invited the failures. He invited the unclean. And Jesus invited the broken. Look at verse 17. One day as he was teaching the Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when the crowd could not find a way, uh, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Here was the man whose friends literally bring him to Jesus. Like Peter needing his partners to come help him with these nets. This man needed his friends and some rope and some ingenuity and hard work to get him to Jesus. And when Jesus forgave this man of his sin, you know, it wasn't because of the man's faith. It was because of whose faith? His friend's faith. You know, we have friends and family members. We have co-workers, neighbors, classmates. We have people in our lives that we need to bring to Jesus. What is stopping us? What are the obstacles in our way? Are they anywhere near as tough to overcome as this man's friends faced? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to bring someone to Jesus? Would you be willing to climb up onto this roof and bust a hole in that dome? <gasps> or not the dome. Would you be willing to do that to bring someone to Jesus? You should. You must. Nothing should stand in the way of bringing someone to Jesus. Now, I love the question that Jesus asks when he, when he understands and discerns what the Pharisees are whispering about. Jesus says, which is easier? Now, if I had been there, I would have said, well, neither. Right? I mean, healing a man who's lame and forgiving sins, both are impossible, Right? Well, thankfully, Jesus specializes in the impossible, amen? And so he performs the most important and amazing miracle first. The one that is the whole reason Jesus came. He forgave the man of his sins and cleansed his heart. And then as a sign of that cleansing, Jesus performs the more minor miracle of helping him to be able to walk again. And what did this man do after Jesus made him whole? He got up. And he walked out of that room. You know, in fact, I think he probably danced out of there. He was probably jumping and shouting and praising God and giving glory to God because that's what broken people do when they're made whole by Jesus. They praise Him and they dance and they sing and shout and they give Him glory. Jesus heals the broken. Jesus invites the broken to come to Him. Jesus invites the failures he invites the unclean. And we see he invites the despised. Look at this next story in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector 
by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi, also known as Matthew, was a tax collector for Rome, which in the eyes of his fellow Jews made him a traitor. He was a collaborator with their Roman oppressors. In the rabbinic writing of the day, tax collectors were lumped in with robbers and murderers. And the way the system was set up, Matthew had really little to no oversight from the Roman government. He could really charge his fellow Jews whatever he wanted. He could keep as much of it as he wanted for himself so long as Rome got their cut. So Matthew and tax collectors were despised. They were hated. Now this is happening in the fishing village of Capernaum, okay, which is where Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that's, the, that's where they lived. That was their base of operations. So you can imagine that those four disciples probably had a very long and unpleasant history with Matthew. They would have to go to him to pay their taxes. So could you imagine their reaction when Jesus approached Matthew and called him, invited him to join them as a disciple? I mean, I can just imagine Simon pulling Jesus aside and saying, Jesus, don't you know who this is? Don't you know what this guy does? We don't want his kind in our group. What will people say about us? What will they think of us? I mean, this was as socially unacceptable as touching a leper. Oh, wait a minute. Been there and done that, right? So Jesus calls Matthew. And guess what? Matthew does exactly what Peter, Andrew, James, and John did. He got up, he left everything behind, and he followed Jesus. In a way, Matthew's faith in Jesus and his commitment to follow Jesus are more profound than Peter and his friends. Because guess what? Peter and his friends, they could go back to fishing anytime they wanted. And in fact, they do a couple of different times. But for Matthew, his commitment was complete. Because once you walk away from your job as a tax collector for Rome, especially to go follow a Jewish rabbi, that's not a job you could return to. So really, Matthew's faith was greater. His sacrifice was deeper. Obviously, there was a miraculous change in Matthew's heart. He not only left behind a profession, but a way of living, a lifestyle, and an attitude of dishonesty and selfish gain. And what is the first thing that Matthew did as a follower of Jesus? He threw a party and invited all of his friends over to introduce them to Jesus. How amazing would it be if we all had Matthew parties at our houses? If we intentionally invited over our friends and family and co-workers who didn't know Jesus for the express purpose of introducing them to Him, could you imagine what that might be like? There's a Near Eastern proverb that says, I saw them eating and I knew who they were. What that means is that in the Middle East today, table fellowship means full acceptance. If you invited someone to sit around your table, or even more importantly, if you went to eat around their table, it's a way of saying, I fully accept you without reservation. We are as one. It's profound. 
What if you went to others who were disregarded and shared bread with them and showed them Jesus and accepted them without reservation? What if we became the talk of the town as Jesus and his disciples were for eating with sinners? What if that's what we became known for? Now, Jesus didn't dispute the fact that these were sinners, that they were breakers of the law of God. These people were excluded from the synagogue. They were cut off from the life of the community. These people were unwanted. There was no denying that. But Jesus wants the people no one else wants. Jesus invites the people no one else will invite. Jesus wants to include those that others would exclude if they will have him. And that's important. Notice that while Jesus wholeheartedly accepted the sinners, he never accepted their sin, did he? This is an important distinction to make. Look back at verse 32. What does Jesus call these people that he's eating with? What does he call them? He says it right there. He calls them what? Sinners. They're sick. They're sinners. And what does he call them to do? What does he invite them to do? Repent. This is so important for us today. He called them to do the same thing that Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew did. He calls them to get up, leave everything behind, and follow Him. In today's culture, we have to be clear that while Jesus freely welcomes and loves all people, sinners, recognizing that's what they are, He calls those sinners to repentance. He calls them to leave their sin behind, get up, and follow Him. Our culture wants to tell us that people can follow Jesus and bring all their sins with them. And not reject them. And not forsake them. Jesus invites the despised. He includes the excluded and the outcast. But He never wants us or allows us to bring our sins with us. We have to reject them. And finally, if you look at Luke chapter 7, we see that Jesus finally invited the unwelcome. This is a little bit of a long passage, so let's dive into this one here, beginning in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she 
loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here we have Simon, a Pharisee. He's thrown a party and invited Jesus over to dine with him and his friends. And this unexpected, unwelcome guest interrupts their festivities. Now, it's easy for us to imagine how this went, right? We've either hosted dinner parties or we've been to such events and occasions. And and maybe some of us have even found ourselves at some events that we felt like were a little bit outside our league. You ever been there? You feel a little awkward, like, oh, I'm not dressed well enough. I don't know which fork to use and that kind of stuff. So you can imagine the the awkward glances and the nervousness and the emotions that might have been happening at this dinner party. Simon the Pharisee was a religious leader in his town, a student of the law of Moses, a devout Jew, and he was wealthy enough to be able to host such a large party. And he invited Jesus to be his guest of honor, not because he saw Jesus as his social equal, not because he was trying to impress Jesus. No, he was curious about Jesus. He wanted to see if this man really was a prophet worthy of their attention. So in the middle of this party comes this uninvited, unwelcome woman. Luke doesn't give us her name, only that she had a bad reputation in town as a sinful woman. Whatever her situation, she was an outcast. She was excluded from the synagogue. She had no social standing, no support network. And she comes and pays this attention to Jesus. Now, the Pharisees often questioned Jesus for eating with people like this woman. We saw them question Jesus' disciples about him eating with Matthew and the tax collectors. When Jesus did this, he showed that they were people of equal worth and value. He was, he was giving them uh, standing in the community. Well, ironically, who's Jesus dining with in this story? The Pharisees, the elite of society. Talk about reaching across the aisle, right? Not only did Jesus dine with simple tax collectors, but with self-righteous Pharisees too. Jesus kept company with all sinners, whether they realized they were sinners or not. And it's interesting to me that this episode, if you read the rest of chapter 7, this episode comes at the end of a series of stories of Jesus working miracles, which makes me ask the question, what's the miracle in this story? Well, I think it's that he gives Simon, a Pharisee, he's blind, not literally, but he's blind, Jesus gives him sight. That's why Jesus asked him, do you see this woman. That's why he shares the parable with him to open up Simon's eyes and his heart to truly see himself and her. And this story begs the question, what do I see? Am I like Simon? Do I only invite my friends and people who are like me? Or am I willing to do what Jesus and his disciples did and fellowship with anyone and everyone who is willing and open to hearing about Jesus? Simon only saw the faults of others. He looked at people and he saw labels and categories. He saw the woman, sinner. He saw Jesus, claims to be a prophet. He saw himself, righteous keeper of the law. Simon only saw labels. Really, this woman had better vision than he did because she saw two things. She saw herself in Jesus. She saw herself for the wretch that she was and she saw Jesus as a man full of holiness but also mercy and grace. What did Jesus see? Jesus saw straight into Simon's prejudiced and prideful heart, just as he sees into our hearts and minds. He saw this woman not for the sins that she had committed, but for the love and the faith that she displayed. 
to her sacrificial act of worship. What about us? What do we see? Do we see our need for Jesus? Do we see his willingness and power to save us and to change our lives? Jesus offered Simon this parable to hopefully open his heart and eyes to Christ and to this woman to help us see as Jesus does. We need to ask ourselves, who am I in Jesus' parable? Well, listen very closely to this. You're one of two people in this parable. You're either the one whose debt was greater, like the woman, and so moved to great love and extravagant worship, or you're like the one whose debt was lesser, like Simon, good and religious person, an upstanding citizen, but still a sinner. See, that's the, that's the great point of Jesus' parable. Neither person in this story could repay their debt, could they? So Jesus really is being ironic here. Simon thinks he has little for which to be forgiven. Why? Because he's a Pharisee. He thinks he's spiritually healthy. He doesn't need a physician. But sin is sin. Every sin is equally an affront to God's holiness and sovereignty. All sin separates us from Him. So no matter how good or bad you may think you are, you are just as sinful and guilty and deserving of eternal punishment as the worst sinner you could ever imagine. The point of Jesus' parable is that we are all guilty and undeserving of His mercy. And so we should all love and worship Him as if our debt is the greatest debt that was ever forgiven because guess what? It is. Your sin debt put the Son of God on the cross. He had to come and die because of you. Because of me. This is, this is what our Old Testament passage was about this morning. God telling Israel to never forget their treatment as aliens and sojourners. And so to treat the aliens and sojourners in their midst with the same love and compassion they received from God. We must never forget, those of us who are followers of Christ, that we were once far from God. That our hearts were darkened. That we were at war with our Creator. If Jesus Christ had not declared us righteous saints, we would still be guilty sinners. And just as Jesus asks us, or asks them, He asks us, do you see this woman? Do you see this man? He invites us to invite those around us who are in desperate need of Him. And we need to start seeing and inviting people, not labels, not categories, not sins and shortcomings. When we invite someone into God's kingdom, we recognize the image of the Creator within them. We see them as someone that Jesus loved enough to die on the cross for. We see someone that He has commanded us to go and make disciples and baptize and teach. So how will you respond to Jesus this morning? You can respond like Simon. See, Jesus is a riddle. as a curiosity to examine. You know, Simon should have known better. He was a student of the Bible. The student of the Word of God. He studied the Scriptures daily. He taught in the synagogue regularly. He was a morally upright citizen, a devout Jew. I mean, if we were talking about someone like that today, they'd be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. He was a good man. And yet Simon missed out on who Jesus was. He didn't see it. He failed to welcome him and treat him with love and respect. Simon missed out on the essence of the very scriptures he had studied. He was blind. Is that where you are today? A good person? You could say, I believe the Bible. I believe in God. 
But have you ever turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus? Have you ever said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and my life is broken, and I know that I deserve death and hell, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave, and I ask Jesus to forgive me, to make me clean. I give you my life. Come and live within me and help me to live for you. If you've never prayed that, if you've never put that kind of trust in Jesus, you're just as lost and blind as Simon. We can respond like Simon. We can respond like the woman. See, that's what the woman did. The woman recognized her sin. She saw herself for what she was, and she understand who Jesus was, that he is deserving of worship, even while she is undeserving of him. And she worshiped Jesus by anointing his feet with this extravagant sacrificial gift. She washed his feet with her tears. She did for Jesus what Simon failed to do because of his self-righteousness. That's the heart of the gospel. It's that we undeserving and unworthy sinners come to Jesus and we experience His grace so that we can help others do the same. See, once Jesus forgives us and cleanses us, He sends us out to invite others to come experience that same forgiveness and cleansing. Once we claim our seat at Jesus' table, He then sends us out to invite other people to come and to eat with Him. As followers of Jesus this morning... If you're a member of his household, if your place at his table is secure, we must follow his example and go and invite others to know him. Those who are broken, those who have failed, those who are despised and unwanted and unwelcome in our families and our communities and our classrooms and workplaces, Jesus sees them, he loves them, he died for them, and he is sending you and me to invite them to know him. Will you do that? Will you care for them and treat them with dignity and respect? Will you show them that they are people, of, that you are a person of integrity and generosity because Jesus lives in you? Will you show them hospitality? Will you serve their needs and seek justice and mercy on their behalf? Will you show them compassion and forgiveness? Will you invite them to worship so they can witness the joy of the Lord and discover the hope that He gives? I pray that you'll be alert and open every day for those opportunities to have gospel conversations. And if you find someone who's open, invite them. And don't just invite them to church. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to a conversation about spiritual matters. Listen as much as you talk. Ask them about their beliefs and their questions and their life experiences. And then hold out for them the word of life. Hold out for them the hope of the gospel that they could come to Jesus. Maybe this morning you're online, you're on the radio, you're here in person, and you're saying, David, I'm the one who's broken. I'm the one who's a failure. I'm the one who feels unwelcome and unwanted, despised and rejected. If you know in your heart that you're separated from God, that your life is far from what He wants for you, I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And Jesus is inviting you right now to leave behind your past. To leave behind the sin, the guilt, the shame, the brokenness, the failures, and come to His table. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you clean. He wants to make you new. He wants to forgive you of all of your sins. He wants to welcome you into His family as His daughter, as His son. Would you come to Him right now? I want to invite you to stand. Would you please stand right now? Just close your eyes and 
bow your head for just a moment before we sing. For those who feel broken and lost, unwanted, unwelcome, who feel like a failure, maybe you've got some doubt in your heart and mind right now where you would spend eternity if you were to leave this place and die today. Or maybe your answer to that question is, well, I'm a good person. I know the Bible and I believe it. So did Simon. He was lost. I want you right now, if that's you, to just pray right now to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm guilty and deserving of death and eternal separation from you in hell. But I also know that you love me. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And I ask you to come into my heart right now and to forgive my sins and to live through me. Help me to leave my past, my sins, my guilt behind and follow you. Thank you for loving me enough to die for me. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you to come right now and to let me know. If you have any questions, I invite you to come and to ask me your questions. To those of us who are followers of Jesus already, Who's your one? Who's the friend you need to bring to Jesus no matter the cost? Who's the outcast, the unwelcome, the unwanted and despised that you need to go and befriend and bring to Jesus? Let's think about that and pray about that as we sing together. You come and respond as the Spirit of God.